the pastor's away. And uh, I like to have props, you know. So I um, had one made up. We're looking at the memory verse today. Not the memory verse, but the text today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In essence, we're going to go back into the Old Testament. I'm going to create a setting for you. It's in 1 Samuel, chapter 17. And the setting is this. The Philistines are encamped on one side of the mountain. And God's people are encamped on the opposite side. I'm going to pick it up in chapter 17, verse 3. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I had to look that up. A, a cubit is the distance between your finger and your elbow. Of course, that varies from one group of people to the next. So it, it, it averages between 18 and 23 inches. So he's six cubits and a span is a half a cubit. So I guesstimated that Goliath was between 9 and 11 feet tall. Now that's a big man. Let's keep reading. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. A coat of mail is strips of metal that's sewed tightly together to make a garment. Makes it difficult for people to stab you and your vital organs. It's usually worn like a shirt, dips around you, your groin area. Protects all your vital organs. It says, armed with a coat of mail, the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which is about 78 pounds. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds, by the way. And a shield bearer went before him. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servant of Saul, choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then you will be, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the army of Israel today. And I'm going to jump up to verse 16. And it said, the Philistines drew near and presented himself 40 days, evening and morning. So for 40 days, Goliath came out and challenged 
Israel. 40 long days, and nobody accepted the challenge. Nobody at all. Now we look at verse 11. This is really surprising. Verse 11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You say, how could this be? Isn't it the same people that God used to clear out Canaan? Isn't this their inheritance? Wasn't this promised of God that they would inhabit this area and they would dominate? But here's a situation. The Philistines are dominating Israel and God's people are afraid. Well, we have, to, we have to go back and see what happened here. So we're going to just jump back. We don't have a lot of time. We're going to go back and see why is Saul afraid, really? Saul is the first king of Israel. Saul was, the, was chosen by God. And the first two years of his reign, he honored God. But after a while, he started getting a little cocky. In fact, he started getting arrogant. And then he, he stopped really obeying everything God asked him to do. He thought he had a better idea. We don't have time to go through all the different things that he did, but the last thing of significance we're going to go through. And so we want to look we're going to look at chapter 15. Because here God called Samuel, who was the prophet, and he, he told Samuel, look, I want Saul to do a particular thing. And we're going to read about it. Let's read about it. Thus said the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. People have read this and said, what kind of a God do we serve? Why would he kill infants and children? But you remember when the children of Israel came into the, the land of Canaan, the probation of the Canaanites had closed. They were requested or commanded to eradicate all the inhabitants of the Canaanites. All of them. Now I know this sounds harsh, but God's dealing with us the same way today, not in harshness, but in mercy. We'll come to that. But this was the command of Saul. He was to go and he was to destroy Amalek. If you want to look for this again, Deuteronomy 25, look for verse 17. It says, and this is like hundreds of years before, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God has given to you to possess as an inheritance, that you will, you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. That was prophesied several hundred years before. 
And now Saul has been given the commission to wipe them out. And he's told exactly what to do. So Saul gets his army up, 250 men, and they go and attack the Amalekites. And they rout them, as they should. We pick this up in verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatling, the lambs, all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I greatly regret, verse 11, that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed of you of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep and lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep, the ox, and, and they did this to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest we utterly destroyed. We're going to skip down because Saul and Samuel had this big discussion. Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, uh, um, verse 19, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone out on the mission of which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You ever wondered why he spared the king? You ever wonder why he did that? It was the tradition of the time. All the nations, when they conquered another nation, they kept the king alive, and they, pr- 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 they would parade him through the streets. It made their king look big. Saul wasn't concerned about the glory of God. He was concerned about his own glory. But this is the word that Samuel said to him. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And we go to the last verse here in that chapter, and it says, And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. So now we're in this situation. We're back. The Philistines are on one side of the mountain. God's people are on the other, Saul and his army, but Saul is afraid. And this big man comes out, and he makes this challenge. I tried to kind of make it into perspective here, you know. We would wonder how big and strong a man that's 10, 11 feet tall would, would look like. Kind of gives us an idea. Next segment. There was a man named Jesse, born in and lived in Bethlehem. He had eight sons. God told Samuel to go 
and anoint one of his sons to be king. But he didn't tell him who it was going to be. Jesse has three sons. He has sent three of his sons to fight in the army. So three of his sons are fighting with Saul as they are facing off with the Philistines. Jesse then turns to David and he says, David, go check on your brothers. I want to give you some bread and give you some cheese. And then he got all this stuff together. He got a keeper for his sheep. And then he ran off to the battle. We're in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Verse 20, so David rose early in the morning, left his sheep with the keeper, took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine, out of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard him. Drop down at verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who killed this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Well, people heard him talking. His brothers got angry with him and told him, be quiet. But other people went and told King Saul. And so King Saul sent for David. And we pick this up in verse 32. Then David said to Saul, I'm sorry, 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. I'm going to take a little tangent here. Before my wife and I had kids, we went camping with a couple. And we went out to Sequoias. It was our first time camping out. We bought a tent and bought air mattresses and a heater. It was going to be exciting. And so that first night uh, we spent in that tent, it was so cold. And we couldn't wait till morning got there. And when morning got there, we got up. We were eating breakfast with this. There was a little five-year-old kid on the other side of the table. 
and we were just thawing out from the night, just sitting there trying to get warm, when that little kid said, oh, look, a bear. (laughs) And so I turned, and 10 feet away was the biggest bear I've ever seen in my life. On our fours, he stood taller than us sitting there. Now, I would love to tell you that I jumped up. I manned up. (laughs) I jumped up and yelled and screamed and chased that bear down. But I didn't do that. (laughs) I froze. And I stared at that bear, and that bear stared at me. And it seemed like eternity. And from the corner of my eyes, I saw this little kid get up and say, get out of here. And that bear took off running. (laughs) You know, I imagine that had I done the David thing, okay, ran over there and smacked that bear in the nose, I'd be pushing up sequoias about right now. (laughs) That was a big bear. I mean, it was a huge bear. Now think about this. Think about this. This is David. David's not an exceptionally tall man. He's not muscular. He goes after a lion, he grabs it by its beard, and he smacks it and kills it. What gave David that power? Because that's not natural. It's not natural. Listen to him as he talks to, Dave, as he talks to Saul. He says, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine, And Saul said to David, go, and God be with you. But we got to go back and and find out who is this David? Where did he come from? We we, we originally said that David was, uh, he, he lived with his father in Bethlehem with his eight brothers. And God had told Samuel to go and anoint the king, the new king. And so, but he didn't tell Samuel who it was going to be. But he told him out of the family of Jesse, this would happen. So he goes to Bethlehem, and he calls Jesse, and he says, bring your boys, we're going to have a feast. And he has this feast, and we'll pick this up, because I can't say it better than the word of God. He says, so it was when they came that he looked at Elab and said, surely the Lord anointed is before me. That's the oldest son. He he looked like Saul. He was tall and handsome and big, and, and, and he could man up. But listen to what God said, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And each one, one by one, God rejected. He rejected. Went through all his sons, until all seven had been gone through. And Samuel says, don't you have any more sons? Is this it? And Jesse says, well, I do, but he's the youngest, and he's out keeping the sheep. And Saul says, bring him. We will not start until he gets here. Verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. 
Now this next verse is really critical. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. I want you to put that in the back of your mind. The spirit of the Lord was poured out on David at that anointing. He was not told he was going to be king. But he was anointed for a purpose. He didn't even know the purpose at that time. So David was sent back out to watch his sheep. And while he's out there watching his sheep, God's spirit has filled his heart and his mind. Everything now looks different. Can you imagine? He's a shepherd. And he's watching sheep. That couldn't be too exciting. Watch him eat, watch him drink, watch him sleep, watch him eat, watch him sleep. A shepherd's life was very lonely. But here's God now. God has filled him with his spirit. And so everything he sees now, he, he relates to God. Everything that he sees. And so, so here he is now, he's a shepherd, and he's watching his sheep, and in his brain he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his, for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Thy anointest my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know this. Psalms 23. You ever wondered how that came about? Here is David now. He's out there. I mean, he's looking up into the stars. And, he, and, and you, you, Psalms 19. Psalms 8, all these originated during this time period. God is teaching David how to be king, teaching him how to be compassionate, teaching him how to be patient. So let's go back. We're now still in verse, chapter 17. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor. And he put a bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword on his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested this. This was so awkward. You know, Saul was a big man. So I imagine the helmet didn't fit. It was all bumping around on his head. His coat of mail was too big. You know, can you imagine David walking around? His sword was awkward. It just didn't fit. This is key. David took Saul's armor off. I want you to put that in the back of your head. We're going to come back to that. Then he took his staff, verse 40. He took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand, 
and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Remember, he had a staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Who is this David? He's the one that's filled with God's spirit. That's who he is. He couldn't have done any of that without, he couldn't have, he couldn't have even thought about what he was going to do without God's spirit working in him. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. 31, therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheet and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now we're going to go back. We're going to go back to Ephesians. Because Paul here now is talking about an armor. You see, David had armor on. He didn't have the traditional armor. But David had armor. Let's look at this. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of of the devil. And I'm going to take a break here because I need to have a, a word of prayer because I struggled with trying to think this through and I want God to, to get this message to you. Father in heaven, this is your word. I pray that you'll make it clear. Thank you. Amen. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil And then he gives you why in verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So now we want to bring that into the context of the story that we just read. The story of of David. Realistically, David had no way of beating Goliath. One of the things I learned in my self-defense class was, you hit people where they're most vulnerable. But if they're too big, you just run. (laughs) So you think about this, you think realistically, 
realistically, there is no way that I'm going to pick a fight with a guy that's big. There's, there's no way. Because I'm going to get an Am I going to grab a bear that's 500 pounds, slap it around? Am I going to grab a, a lion by its mane? Am I going to do that and knock it down and, and kill it with one blow? Uh, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. What made the difference? Was David some superhuman being? What made the difference? Paul talks now about this armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He says, so, you could be, so that you can be able to stand the wiles of the devil. And then he makes this outstanding statement. He says, for we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, okay? It would be silly for me to fight this guy. I'm going to lose. How silly is it for you to feel that you're going to fight the devil? The devil convinced 30% of the angels to follow him. The devil convinced our first parents that his way was better. We have 4,000 plus years of sin in our, in our being. Some of us feel that if I determine, if I can, if, if, if I can, I can, I can fight this devil, I want to do this on my terms. I don't want to do it on his terms. I want just enough Christianity so I'm comfortable. But I, just, but, I, but I don't want it all. I just want enough. So, and then I want to just kind of finagle along. And I'll be able to fight the devil. And, and Paul has said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not fighting flesh and blood. You're not fighting flesh and blood. What did he say? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's who we are fighting. And it's no fight if it's just you and him. It's no fight at all. And that's exactly how he likes that. Because he doesn't want you to put on the armor of God. So now, oh wow, I need to understand what this armor is. I mean, if that's the only way I'm going to be able to stand and fight this gigantic being who's against me, who wants to kill me, I've got to get the formula to be able to overcome. So he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He said that before. How important is he said it twice? Take up the armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having showed your feet with the preparation of gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I used to read all this and I said, well, how do I do all that? How do I how do I incorporate this? What is he talking about? How do I make this practical? And I prayed about it. I prayed, Lord, please give me understanding 
because I, I need to know how to fight because I'm losing this battle. I'm losing. As I was praying about it, Jesus said, it's the same process of salvation. It's the exact same process. He said, look at it. And I looked, and he said, stand having gird your waist with truth. Why do I need to know truth? You see, the world wants, to, the, wants you to believe that is the purpose of God to destroy everybody. He says, oh, well, that part that says he, 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 he had all the women and children and infants killed. Oh, that's awful. Who would serve a God like that? But then he says, well, look at who God really is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God, See, God wants you to know the truth about himself. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what's the breastplate of righteousness? Is that my righteousness? Do I have to do a lot of things? I mean, you know, I'm a first elder, you know, and I do teach the class in the back. Are those brownie points for me? I give a decent offering. I'm a vegetarian. Sometimes I'm vegan when my wife is not looking. I eat a little cheese every now and then. Are those brownie points for me? What is this righteousness? And then he took me through this process when the Holy Spirit is poured out on this world. John 16, 16, 8. The Holy Spirit is poured out on this world to every human being. Everybody has the opportunity to respond, whether you know who Jesus is or not. And when you respond to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit walks you through this process of salvation. He shows you your sin. He he gets you to, to acknowledge that you have a need. Then he takes you to repentance. He takes you, this is the working of the Spirit in you, he takes you to the part where you do not want to participate in the sin again. You turn away from it. Then he takes you to forgiveness. And by faith then, he introduces you to Jesus. I love this statement. I love this statement. It says, God in his mercy and love made Christ who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. Now, let that sink in. You might be made the righteousness, not of yourself, not of your your community, not of your church, but the righteousness of God. Because when God looks down on you, he sees the righteousness of his son. So the righteousness that I have on my chest is the righteousness of Christ. And this helmet of salvation is this this process then, this process of, of becoming righteous, of becoming justified before God. But it doesn't stop there. 
Because even though I'm covered with Jesus' righteousness, I'm still a sinful being. I still have all these tendencies to sin. But to God's eyes, I'm perfect. Did you get that? Why am I perfect? Not because I am, but because I'm covered with Christ's righteousness by faith. Okay? But God's not done yet. Because he said, put on the helmet of salvation. And that salvation process is the whole process. He says, now, I want you to abide. I want you to come with, I want you to, I want you to worship with me every day. I want to talk with you so I can fill you with my spirit. And I will gradually change you from the inside out. It can't change any other way. You know, if you decide to change, you can't do it. You can resist. I have a friend. She's an alcoholic. She had a relapse. It hurt my heart. She's been out of work for a month now, drinking and drinking and drinking. For her to do this on her own is impossible. She's an, she's an alcoholic. But when Jesus comes in from the inside and cleans you up, he cleans you up from the inside out. And you're able to resist in time. And there, this process is called sanctification. So you go through justification, which Jesus gives you. And then you go through sanctification, what Jesus makes through you. And this is the armor that David wore. You see, David could not have possibly beaten a bear on his own. He couldn't, he couldn't beat a lion, grab it by its mane. He'd be bear feed. He couldn't beat this guy. Not naturally. Not one who's trained in war. David could not do this on his own. You cannot do this on your own. Do not think by determination you're going to be the best Christian. The only way to overcome is in Jesus. The only way you're going to get the victory is allowing Jesus to live in you. Being connected to the vine. Studying his word. He says, if my word abide in you, I abide in you, you will ask and I will give what you need. And that's the message of today. You know, I always pray before I stand up here. I always ask God, what do you want me to talk about? Lord, this one's too hard. I don't know if I could do this. But I do know how important it is. But I do know how the struggles I have, what... The things I talk to you about are the things that the Lord disciplines me about. And God knows that I have a lot of work. He's got a lot of work to do in me. If I abide in him, and he abides in me, and I abide in his word, and I spend time in prayer, my life will change. And I will be changed from the inside out. Have you borrowed his for prayer?
Father in heaven, you know the struggles that are in my life. And every individual here is no different from me. We all look good. We all seem to be perfect in our thoughts and perfect in our lives, but in essence we struggle because the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's bigger than Goliath, Lord, but he's a defeated foe. He has already been defeated. But Lord, he doesn't want us to know the way to you. He doesn't want us to put on your armor. He wants us to try to, to fight him on our own turf, and we'll lose. And so we're asking, dear Father, that you will teach us how to come to you. Teach us how to allow your spirit to live in us. Teach us how to daily come before you and receive grace so that we can overcome. Thank you, Lord, for the promises, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.